Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Watching Over Your Words. This morning, I want to talk to you about something that I call watching over your words, watching over your words. But in order to get there, I want to share the story of Hannah in the book of Judges. Not only can we learn some wonderful life lessons from this wonderful story, but I want to use Hannah and the prophet Samuel to introduce the concept of what I call watching over your words. So if you would turn in your devices or in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and hold your place there for just a minute, I'll give you some necessary background to the story. 1 Samuel chapter 3, I'll be reading in the English Standard Version in just a minute. So during the time of the judges, there was a man named Elkanah. He lived in Ramah and was of the tribe of Ephraim. He had two wives, Penina and Hannah. Penina was bearing children for Elkanah, but Hannah was barren. And to add insult to injury, Penina was very cruel and was constantly reminding Hannah that she was bearing children and Hannah was not. Her husband tried to console her with his love, but to no avail. Even though he loved Hannah more than he loved Penina, his response to her agony was not exactly helpful. He said to Hannah, Is not my love for you greater than the love of ten sons? Isn't that just like a man? I want to fix it right now. I'm not interested in hearing your story or knowing how you feel emotionally. I just want to fix it. So when her family went to Shiloh to worship the Lord and make their yearly sacrifices, Hannah took occasion to pour out her broken heart to the Lord at the tabernacle of the Lord. She told the Lord if he would grant her a son, she would dedicate him to the service of the Lord for the rest of his life. And Eli the priest was watching her pray, and because her lips were moving but no words were coming out, He thought she was drunk. But when Hannah told him why she was so desperately praying, he prophesied to her that the God of Israel would grant her her request for a son. So when her family left Shiloh and returned to Ramah, it wasn't long before Hannah became pregnant. She had a son, and she called his name Samuel. And true to her word, after he was weaned and probably only three or four years old, she took her young son to Shiloh and placed him under the care of the priest, Eli. Can you imagine how hard it must have been for Hannah to do such a thing? When she knew that she would only see her son once a year when they came up to worship at Shiloh. But for those who are not familiar with the story of Hannah, there's no need to pine for her. For after her great sacrifice, the Lord blessed her with three sons 
and two daughters. You know, sometimes when all hope seems lost, it's time to sow a seed. And believe God for a bountiful harvest. And that's where we pick up the rest of the story. 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He didn't know how to hear the voice of the Lord. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Now, his two sons, just to give you a little background, were sleeping with women in the tabernacle of the Lord and were stealing meat sacrifices from the people that were meant for the Lord, not for themselves. And Eli did nothing about it other than scold them a time or two, and he became fat from eating this extra meat. Verse 14, Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Whew. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him, and he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So in delivering this word to Eli that he was afraid to deliver, 
Can you see that the young boy Samuel passed his first test as an emerging prophet to the nation of Israel? God was testing him to see if he would alter the word of the Lord in any way to make it easier for Eli to hear. But he didn't. He told him exactly the way he heard it from the Lord. Amen. When Eli heard the word of the Lord, he did not get angry. It seems that he quietly accepted his fate and the coming judgment that was prophesied by the young boy Samuel. In fact, if you read in chapter 2, he had heard it before through another man of God. So this was nothing more than a confirmation. So we can learn from that that prophecy can be confirmed by more than one person who has heard the same word of the Lord. Amen? Verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Let me say that again, because that's the theme of what we're going to talk about this morning. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. The word there for grew in the Hebrew means that Samuel grew, matured, advanced, was promoted, and was made great in the land of Israel. Furthermore, the Lord was with him and saw to it that none of Samuel's words fell to the ground unfulfilled. Let me say it another way. Every word that Samuel spoke over individuals, over the nation of Israel, or representing the Lord in any way came to pass exactly as he said that they would. Which is why verse 20 says this, And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from one end of Israel to the other, all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. I reckon so. He had a perfect track record of wisdom, and he had a perfect track record of hearing accurately from the Lord. And not only did he become the preeminent prophet of Israel, he became the last judge of Israel and essentially ruled the whole nation until the era of the kings began with Israel's first king, King Saul. Amen. Now, all of that was background and introduction, but I wanted you to get a flavor of the story of young Samuel so that you'd appreciate how special he was and what a great sacrifice Hannah, his mother, had to make when she gave up her son to the service of the Lord. She had to sow her son as a seed so that not only would she be blessed with more children, but the nation of Israel would be blessed with godly leadership. So that wickedness and perversion no longer reigned over the land, but righteousness, truth, and integrity. And all of this background and introduction was so that we could arrive at 1 Samuel 3.19 and talk about what I call watching over your words. And when I say that, I don't just mean watching what you say in the sense of being careful what you say, i.e. death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18.21. I want to extend that concept to being good stewards of the words, the visions, the dreams, 
that the Lord has entrusted unto you. So let's reread 1 Samuel 3.19 and we'll get into what I mean when I say we need to watch over or steward our words from the Lord. 1 Samuel 3.19, English Standard Version. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. If you think about it, this verse can be interpreted in two ways and I've got them up on the screen there for you. Number one, God did not let any of the words he spoke over Samuel fall to the ground unfulfilled. Nor did he allow any of the words spoken by Samuel to others to fall to the ground unfulfilled. So I think you can see that whether the word of the Lord comes to us directly from God or from another vessel, a trusted source, We need to agree with what God has spoken over us, and we need to listen to his voice so that we can do our part to make sure that that word, that vision, that dream comes to pass. We need to watch over our words from the Lord so that none of them fall to the ground unfulfilled. Amen? Now that sort of segues into a necessary conversation about conditional and unconditional prophecies. I want to make it clear that the kind of prophecy I'm talking about, most teachers call conditional. In other words, you have a part to play in bringing them to pass. If you do this, God will do this. If you do your part, God will do his part. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? Then there are unconditional prophecies that are going to come to pass no matter what anyone does. One example that always comes to my mind is the coming of John the Baptist into the world. His coming was prophesied hundreds of years in advance, and there was a set time, a set way, and a set place that he was to come into the world so that he could prepare the way for the coming of the Son of God. But when Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, spouted unbelief to the angel Gabriel, when he told him he was going to have a son, Gabriel struck him dumb for a season so he could not speak until his son, John, was born. Amen. So it seems that there are some prophecies that are going to come to pass at a specific time and a specific place, no matter what anybody does. And if you do try to interfere with the word of the Lord, you're going to be dealt with. Amen? Don't be that person. All right, getting back to our main theme, we need to watch over or steward our words from the Lord so that none of them fall to the ground unfulfilled. So exactly how do we do that? I've got six points up there for you. When you receive a word from the Lord, a rhema word from the scriptures, a dream or a vision, record it or write it down. That's really important. Some of you journal. That's great. If you journal, then take some time to write down your dreams and visions as well. Number two, don't try to interpret just yet. Just get all the details down as quickly as you can. Number three. 
Read or listen to your word and do the best you can to interpret what the Lord is saying unto you. Some words are going to be straightforward and some are not. Some you're going to have to put on the shelf until you get further revelation. Number four, regularly remind yourself and remind the Lord of the word he gave to you. Repeat it. Memorize it if you can and hold it up in prayer as a point of agreement with the Lord. Number five, follow the example of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and say to the Lord, be it unto me, Lord, according to your word, according to your vision, according to what you showed me. Amen. God doesn't get mad when you do that. He's the one that showed it to you. He wants you to come into agreement with it. Number six, other than just standing in faith, which is important, ask the Lord if there are any steps of faith that you need to take to ensure that your word does not fall to the ground unfulfilled. Pretty simple, practical stuff, eh? But most people don't do it. Let me share a couple of examples. The first example is about a worship leader, and his name is Zion Alford. That's S-I-O-N, but it's pronounced Zion. Zion Alford. Zion Alford, who is now pastor of the Gateway Church Satellite Campus in Justin, Texas. He came to our church in Shreveport many, many years ago when he was an up-and-coming worship leader. And he shared his testimony of how he got saved and filled with the Spirit at the age of 19, and he had no idea what the Lord was calling him to do or who he was supposed to become. I mean, it's an awesome testimony which made a huge impression on me, and it stuck with me over the years. Zion told the Lord. Now, this is a 19-year-old, newly saved, newly baptized in the Holy Ghost, weeks old in the Lord, and he had the wisdom to do this. Zion told the Lord, I don't know what you call me to be, but I'm going to seek your face every night until you show me what you call me to be. I'm going to spend every night in my prayer closet praying in the Spirit for 30 minutes every night, and I'm going to do it till I hear from you. Now, it's been a long time since I heard this testimony, so I, I may get the timing off a little bit. I believe he would forgive me. I think it was three weeks into this prayer vigil, and he had a vision of the Lord. Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, I'm going to show you what I called you to be. So he pulled back what looked like a curtain, and Zion saw himself sitting at a keyboard on a platform with a band and singers all around him. There were hundreds of people in the audience, and he was leading them in worship to the Lord. It was such a powerful image that he began to sob and weep uncontrollably at the magnitude of his vision that the Lord had for him. He thanked the Lord profusely. Thank you, Lord, for showing me a piece of my destiny. Now I know what you call me to be and who you called me to become. And so he came out of the vision. And immediately when you get out of the anointing, you know, the doubts come. When he came out of the vision, he suddenly realized 
that he had no earthly idea how to play the piano. He could not read music and wasn't even sure he could carry a tune. As far as he knew, he had no musical talents whatsoever. So he asked the Lord about it, and he discerned that these were gifts that he would have to develop over time with the help of the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know that Zion probably had to take lessons or had a mentor or two who helped him develop those gifts that God had placed on the inside of him? Now, granted, he probably caught on faster than most other people because it was a gift of the Lord on the inside of him, but he still didn't get there overnight. Zion Alfred had to latch hold of the vision of the Lord by faith, agree with God's plan for his life, and take some practical steps to become the man that God had called him to be. He had to let the Holy Spirit and the power of God do the rest. He did what he could do, and God did what only he could do. He watched over his words from God, and let none of them fall to the ground unfulfilled. He's written over a hundred songs now. I mean, we heard this testimony, Trish and I, and then we watched him lead praise and worship in our church there at Word of Life in Shreveport. And we were just in tears. Oh my gosh, what a gift. And the young man didn't even know that gift was on the inside of him. Amen. But he sought the Lord and he showed him. Amen. Now, I want to share a personal example. Way back in the summer of 1987, I had an encounter with the Lord where he supernaturally spoke to me and he gave me a three-part plan that I was to follow in order to align my life with God's plan. And part three of that plan was to pursue advanced degrees in engineering. Now, at the time, I only had a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from NC State. Go, Wolfpack. But the Lord was urging me to get a master's and a Ph.D. in engineering. Monumental faith tasks, in my view, at the time. I'll tell you why. I graduated from North Carolina State with a B.S. in mechanical engineering with a 1.97 grade point average. How many know that's not exactly stellar? So just getting into graduate school was a miracle in and of itself. Amen. It's a bit of a long story and a great faith journey as well, but by November of 1990, I had gotten my master's in mechanical engineering from Louisiana Tech University with a 3.5 grade point average. Although I was offered a doctorate program after this, my flying career with the Air Force Reserve started taking off, so I turned my attention to that interest in those activities. You know, I flew for 30 years with the military, so it was a big part of my life. So I let the vision go for about 10 years. I didn't take any steps to pursue my Ph.D. until the Lord started to nudge me gently to get back on the plan. I gave you a plan, son. I expect you to follow it. That's not exactly gently, but he was nudging me nevertheless. 
When I started looking into it, I was delighted to find out that all my coursework from my master's would count toward my Ph.D. because I was going to the same university, Louisiana Tech University. But I also found out that to get my Ph.D. program, to get into the Ph.D. program, I would have to retake my GRE exam. How many know what the GRE is? It is a thing to be feared. I had to retake it because my scores for my master's program, although they were qualifying for the master's, they were too low for the Ph.D. So I asked, how much higher do they need to be? And I was told to my dismay that I needed to raise my score by 200 points. Statistically impossible from what I had read. But the Lord urged me to register for the test anyway, so I did. And I went down to Books A Million, and I got a book called GRE for Dummies. No lie, I still have that book. And I committed to running all the exercises in the book a couple of times to prepare for the exam. One day I got to looking at the back of the book, and it says, if you do all the exercises in this book a couple of times, you can expect to improve your score by up to 50 points. So I got further discouraged. So not long after this, I had a dream where I was facing three large men who had come to fight me. One of them started running at me. He tripped and fell and knocked himself out. So I only had two to deal with. As the other two started walking toward me, I balled up my fists And I said to them, you come at me with natural strength and natural power, but I come at you in the strength and power of Almighty God, and I will defeat you. And then I woke up. When I woke up from the dream, I said, Lord, what was that all about? Well, since the GRE was very much on my mind, I suddenly remembered that the exam had three parts, but only the math and verbal counted towards your total score. The other part was, quote-unquote, knocked out, and I didn't need to spend any time preparing for it. I could concentrate on the two guys that were left, the math and the verbal, and cut down on my workload. And after all, the Lord had shown me in the dream that he would help me defeat the other two foes. So I concentrated on math and verbal, and I knew that the Lord had committed to helping me with the exam. Fast forward a week, maybe two weeks, and I took the GRE. After I was done, I checked my score. And it was exactly 200 points above my previous score, still considered to be statistically impossible. So I got into the program, and four years later, I finished my Ph.D. with a 3.75 grade point average. To God be all the glory. You know, some people got their degrees cum laude, magnum cum laude. I got my degrees, thank the Lord. (laughs) My point is this. The Lord commissioned me. The Lord commissioned me to get my Ph.D. through a word from him and later through an encouraging dream. But I had to take practical steps to prepare for the exam as best I could. I had to let the Holy Spirit and the power of God do the rest. I did what I could do, and he did what only he could do. 
I watched over his word to me, and he let none of those words fall to the ground unfulfilled. So let me leave you with a scripture that really kind of ties all of this together and emphasizes the point I'm trying to make. Jeremiah 1.12 in the English Standard Version says, I am watching over my word to perform it. That's what God said to the prophet Jeremiah. I am watching over my word to perform it. That says to me that God is a great steward of the words that he has spoken over us. And we need to get into agreement with him and let none of those words fall to the ground unfulfilled. Amen? Amen. Thank the Lord. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Watching Over Your Words. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.